Uh, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today. Um, we're going to start in uh, verse 1. Um, and if you've been with us this, during the series, where the series is, is called, Who Do You Say That I Am? And we're walking through the book of Mark. We're looking at who Jesus is. And um, we're asking that question throughout. Um, as we've already been through, we've seen that Jesus is the Son of God. We've seen that he's had authority. We've seen that he's a healer. And uh, we even talked about the importance of prayer last week. Um, and this week, we're going to learn some more about who Jesus is and what he did on this earth. So we're going to start, again, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, uh, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and, the, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above, above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So we're just going to stop there. We're going to continue on, so don't lose your place. But the story starts with Jesus coming home, coming back to apparently where he was living. Some people, some scholars even think that this is actually Jesus's house, that all of these people are crowding around, which also changes the story a little bit in some of our minds, because every time I've heard this story and I think about the roof situation, I think, oh, it's somebody else's house. <laughs> Right, It's somebody else's house. But if this is Jesus's house, this is kind of even crazier. Does it matter? Not really. But it adds a little flavor to the story. But he comes home, and we've already seen after last week um, and the week prior that people are just following Jesus. Where he goes, they want to be because he's doing amazing things. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. He's casting out evil spirits, casting out demons. And so he's just constantly swarmed. And so he's there and this crowd starts packing in, and so Jesus just begins to teach them. Like, if I got a group here, why not teach them? And so he begins to teach them, and these friends show up with a paralytic man on a mat. And they can't get through the door. Maybe you've had this experience at some point in your life, not the carrying of a paralytic person, but trying to get into somewhere where it's so crowded, you're just like, ah, I can't, maybe he's over there, maybe I can't get through the door. But these guys were ingenious. Because one thing that we need to, to know, which is very different from our lives and our homes, is that in Palestine during this time, they would build, their roofs were typically flat. And they would typically just have some boards that would kind of be the main structure. And they would use dirt, grass, mud, whatever, to create a roof. And so what they probably did when it says they dug, they probably just dug that dirt out between some of these rafters and lowered him down. And Jesus sees their faith and he forgives their sin, or forgives the man's sins, it says. The faith and the love of this man's friends to go the extra mile, to get him to Jesus, to bring him before the King of Kings is commendable, right? They decided there's nothing that's going to stop us from getting to this man, Jesus, because our friend needs to be healed. Maybe they were 
roofers, and so they knew how to fix the problem afterward. And maybe they weren't. They had one mission that day, which was to help their friend out, to bring their friend to Jesus so that he could heal him. And what an interesting response by Jesus. Like, the one thing that he says to them as they dig a hole, maybe in his roof, maybe in somebody else's roof, and I mean, can we just picture that together? We're sitting there, probably crammed in, very little space, and all of a sudden, dust and debris start falling. And then a little bit more, and then there's probably some sunlight, and then the hole gets bigger, and at this point, we just go, what, what, what is happening? And then there's a person <laughs> floating down. And Jesus' response is, son, your sins are forgiven. Not, hey, what happened to my roof? Not, hey, what's up? <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Uh, <laughs> not, um, what was the other joke I was going to tell right here? Not, thanks for dropping in, right? Like, <laughs> there it is. None of those things. He says, son, your sins have been forgiven. Just an interesting response. But why does he say that? Now, there's something else we need to know about this time and this period in Israel. During Jesus' day, if you had some sort of physical condition, it was seen as though you had sinned. The people who didn't have physical conditions, the people who were rich, they were blessed, which means they must be spiritual giants. If you had leprosy, if you were born deaf or blind or mute, or you were paralyzed, whatever the case may be, the reasoning that they had determined, the, the people of the day, is that you must have done some sort of sin or your parents had. Because why else would you be that way? And so then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. These things are linked the physical condition and the spiritual condition. There was a, the rabbis even had a saying. They had this saying that says, there is no sick man healed of his sickness until all his sins have been forgiven him. This is what they taught. If you were sick, you've done something wrong. You have sinned against God, and th thus this is a punishment for you. Forgiveness of sins was critical to curing a condition. And it's critical for us to understand this this morning as we continue through this passage because these things are linked throughout the rest of the story. When we look at the story through modern American eyes, we go, that's pretty cool. Jesus just forgave his sins. And if you know what happens in the rest of the story, what you do, because Anderson told us, this guy's going to get up and walk. But there's something happening here that Jesus is doing and we can't miss it. So let's continue on. Mark chapter 2. Verse 6 says this, it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. In verses 6 and 7, the, we, we see that the religious leaders are, are introduced into this, this narrative, into this story. And they're sitting there, probably up towards the front, because they would be people who would be given special favor. Because as we were just talking about, right, like the holy people must be closest to God, so we'll give them the closest seat to this guy who we don't know what to do with currently in Jesus. And so they're sitting there, but they're not there to learn. We see this throughout Scripture. The, the, the Pharisees very rarely, the teachers of the law, very rarely have any interest in learning from Jesus. They are simply there to catch him in something, to trip him up. And oh boy, did they find something special on this day, right? Because they say to themselves in verse 7, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God? If they were looking to find something against him, they found it. His notoriety is spreading. As Jesus is beginning his ministry, people are following him. People are coming to him. They want to be healed by him. They want to be touched by him. They want to know what is going on. And this strikes at the power play of the Pharisees. This guy is going to steal their people. This guy is going to steal their power. This guy is going to steal their authority. Or so they would think. And so it spreads, and, and the teachers of the law, they just don't understand, right? But they did have an understanding. They said, if this man is going to forgive that person who just came through the ceiling, and what is happening with that? But if he's going to forgive him, there's only one way he can do that. He's got to be God. And there's no chance that this guy sitting here in this house is God. Because, I mean, that's what they would have thought. There's no chance. So he must be blaspheming, and then we can just write him off as just some other crazy guy who decided he wanted to start talking like he was from heaven. That's their hope. But in verses 8 through 12, Jesus knows, he knows what they're thinking. And this is where it gets so good, so good. Because don't you love it in a story when the, when the good guy who seems to be caught in, a, caught in something or cornered or like, how is he going to get out of this? And then he just kind of like does that one thing and you're like, yes, get him, get him. I love those moments. And this is one of these moments, right? This is one of these moments because they are sure that there's no chance that God would have taken the form of a man and would be in the town of Capernaum sitting, talking to a bunch of nobodies. They're sure of this. There's no way God would do that. Except he did. And so Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, 
he says this one thing. He says, well, one, he challenges him. He says, why are you thinking these things? Which is that moment where you just go, uh, what? <laughs> right? Like, oh, boy. <laughs> maybe maybe we've, we've messed with the wrong guy here, right? But he continues on. He says, you know, why, why are you thinking these things? And then he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Very simple question. Which is easier? If Jesus isn't who he's seeming to claim he is, he can easily say, your sins are forgiven. Guy who came through my roof. Your sins are forgiven. And nobody can check that. Right? Nobody can check that because none of us are God. None of us are in heaven with like reading, pulling it up on the heavenly computer going, yes, paralytic guy. Sins are forgiven. We can't do that. And they couldn't do that. So yes, it would be much easier for him to just go, your sins are forgiven, because then, you know, who's to argue? Who's to know? But then he says, is it easier to do that or tell him to get up and walk? Now, there's this moment, because if he can't get up and walk, then Jesus isn't doesn't have that authority, right? Jesus can't prove to them anything because that man has to get up and literally walk. He can't just go, yep, your sins are forgiven. See you later. No, he's got to get up. Because remember, those two things are critically linked in the Jewish culture. And so he says that so that you may know that I am the son of the man and that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then then Mark writes it very dramatically. If you'll look at that with me in in verse uh, 10. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, dot, dot, dot. Some of you know my imagination goes a little wild, and so this is the moment in this story when we look and the camera cuts to the Pharisees, and they're like, and then back to Jesus, and he's just like, and then back to the Pharisees, they're like, and then what's he going to do? The drama has been built. Mark gives us three dots to go, like, let's, let your imagination fill in what, ha- what happens here, because it's so good, because he just looks at him and says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. There's that pregnant pause of like, what is going to happen? And then Jesus just lays it down. Get up. Walk. Go. And what's he do? He gets up. He walks and he goes. And can you imagine? Oh my goodness. How, the wrong, picking the wrong side, the Pharisees that day, the teachers of the law going, well, there's no way he can do this. Because only God can do this. So if he's saying he's forgiven his sins, he's just lying to us. And the only way to prove that he can actually forgive sin is to make this gentleman stand up and walk out of here because we know he's unable to do that. And Jesus goes, okay, I'll do that. And he forgives a man's sins, and he gets up, and he walks out. It's interesting because the, the Pharisees were actually right. Not on who Jesus was, but they were right that only someone who could forgive sins could heal this man, and he did. 
They just didn't have the right perspective. Jesus uses this term about himself here. Uh, He says that, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. We may not be familiar with this term, or maybe what it actually means. It's used over 80 times um, in Scripture. Jesus refers to himself over and over again, and it actually comes from uh, Daniel uh, chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. And it says this, it says, um, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Jesus uses this term to refer to himself. And this is a prophecy from Daniel hundreds of years before. And he says, I am this one. I am this son of man. And he's, he's starting to paint a picture for those who are following him to fully understand who he is. And so that when they ask that question that we're going to ask again today, who do you say I am? They're going to have a more full picture. What do we do with this? Great story. Um, if your imagination runs wild like mine, it's fun to think about. It's fun to engage with. But we don't just want to read Scripture. We want to do Scripture. We want to do what we're supposed to with the Word. We're not just hearers. We're doers, as Mark says. And so there's two things. First, godly friends are important. Godly friends are important. We see the faith of these men heal, so to speak. Jesus, he does the healing. But because of their faith, them digging through a roof, them lowering him down, having the gall, the nerve, and the chutzpah to (laughs) dig up somebody's house, they get him to Jesus because they're on a mission. Godly friends will help us be on a mission. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a, lo- a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Having godly friends is important. And listen, if we don't have friends like these guys, let's find them. Find somebody who cares about you enough to dig up somebody's roof. Because there's going to be a moment when you need a roof dug. Just super weird phrase that I just used. But (laughs) you know what I mean. Maybe the shingle's removed and we cut the hole. I don't know. I'm not sure how how we're going to dig the roof. But we need friends like that. Because these guys are practicing the one another's. And I know I beat this drum a lot. But it is just what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to practice these one another's. And here's just a few. Love one another. Serve one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Bear one another's burdens. That's what these friends are doing. That's what they're putting into action. They carried this guy who they were, I mean, I just try to think through in my mind, like, how did they get here? And I think one of them just goes, hey, you know Phil could really use this Jesus guy. 
And somebody else, because there's always one, goes, no, he's not going to let us go. And then there's two other guys going, well, yeah, he could. And then there's the crazy one goes, what if? Because there's always a crazy one, right? I mean, what if we took him to Jesus? And they get there and they're like, ah, how are we going to get in there? And most times the houses had some sort of side steps up to the top of this roof. And the crazy guy goes, there's steps. Conservative guy's like, ah, well, he's in there. We dig, man, we dig. Like, that's how this goes, right? (laughs) We dig a hole and we put him in it to the floor to where Jesus is. Because we're going to bear our burdens. We're going to love Phil. That's not his name, but it is today. Like, we're going to love We're going to love him. We're going to help him. We're going to serve him. We're going to do all of these things because that's what godly friends do. And as as we follow Jesus and as we're transformed by him, these traits should just become evident in our lives. Because I would also say that it's not only important, godly friends aren't, excuse me, let me say this right. I'll read this slide. Godly friends are important have some, but then we need you to be one. And not just we as in me or this church. Jesus needs you to be a godly friend. Because if we all go looking for godly friends and none of us are, who are we going to find? We're going to be the ones who are just sitting there not getting in front of Jesus, right? I hope and pray that you have godly friends in your life. But I would also just challenge you, are you a godly friend to the people around you? Would you be willing to dig a hole in the roof of somebody's house and lay them before Jesus? Or maybe more simply, would you be willing to pray for somebody when they're hurting? Would you be willing to bear the burden if they ran into financial troubles and you were able to help them out with money? Would you be willing to take late night phone calls in the midst of a marital issue? Would you just be willing to meet for coffee and talk life? Godly friends are important. Find some and then be one. Because I need them in my life, you need them in yours, and so if we are just sitting on the sidelines waiting for everybody else to do it, there's not going to be any godly friends. They're important. And now to our question that the series is all based on. Who do you say I am? And we ask this question because it's important. Who who we think Jesus is, is everything. It's everything. Because some people will say he's just a good teacher. Others will say, oh, that's nice. He's just kind of like a a Mr. Rogers, love your neighbor kind of guy. But he's not really like serious about that. Or others will just say, well, he's just some crazy guy. So it, it, it actually matters who we think and who we say that Jesus is. And in this passage today, we see that Jesus is both God and man, and that he can forgive our sins. Jesus is both God and he's man, because Remember what, the, remember what the teachers of the law said. They said only God can forgive sin. Which is why I said they were right. They're right. Only God can. And Jesus is God. He's also man. It gets really confusing. 
Trinity is hard stuff. <laughs> Throw the Holy Spirit in there and then we all have theological headaches. But Jesus is both God and he's man. God put on flesh, humbled himself, and came to this earth so that he could teach us a better way, so that he could take our place and be the sacrifice so that our sins can be forgiven. Ephesians 1, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if Jesus is God, which the, the Bible is abundantly clear about, it should make us want to follow him. It should transform how we live and it should make us want to be on mission him. I mean, can you imagine those four guys who lowered him down, who saw that? Like, those guys had the gall to do that. You think they hung around a little bit? I think they heard what Jesus had to say and went, this guy might be crazy, like a good crazy, not a bad crazy. Kind of like his style, maybe we need to go follow him. We don't know. Maybe when we get to heaven, we will meet the four guys. And we can hear that story. And they can be like, yeah, it was not Jesus' house, but he's Jesus, so he fixed it. No big deal. <laughs> right? So the question we, we, we're left with today. For some of us, we, we know this about Jesus. We know that he's God. We know that he's man. And so maybe the challenge for us today is you need to be a godly friend and you need to find some. And then you are reminded that Jesus is both God and man and can forgive sins. And for some of us in this room, maybe we need our sins forgiven for the first time. Maybe we need to make him Lord of our life, where we would follow him and be transformed by him, and then be on mission for him. I'm not sure where you're at, but God knows. And so right now, we're going to just pray. We're going to ask him to intervene on our behalf, whatever it is that we need to know, we need to hear, we need to walk away with. Um, and then the worship team will come up in the midst of that. So let's pray. Father, oh, we thank you for who Jesus is. Father, we thank you for this incredible story. God, we thank you for godly friends that some of us may already have in our lives. God, help us to be godly friends to those around us. And God, for some of us today, maybe we're being challenged with the idea that... Uh, that Jesus is God for the first time. Or maybe we've heard it and we've just been wrestling with it and we're at the point where it's just time for us to make some sort of decision on that. God, would you work in us and through us in this moment? Would you help us to have your eyes, help us to see this picture of Jesus so clearly so that we know who he is, and what that means for our own lives. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we just pray all of these things in his powerful, powerful name. Amen.